Shee. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 262 is recorded live October 29th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we're losing our leaves. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm surviving and uh, hopefully getting better. You sound better. Your voice isn't as, uh, as rough. And I know that we had talked last week with it being Thursday, you were going to try and find a way to get down to the river. Were you able to escape? No, I I felt I was in the uh, more judicious not to do that because if I went, I'd have a tendency to probably get myself in the water or get <laughs> trouble. Or so I I stayed away. Uh-huh. Well, that was probably good that I did. Yeah. Well, I did get in the river. We can talk about that later in the show. But yes, I know you finally got wet. Yeah, and I I certainly could have used some shore support. And it I don't know if you heard river. that story. Well, I figured you'd tell everything tonight. Show yeah. and tell. Yeah, we, we got, we'll have a little bit of show and tell. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. As as always, we want to thank everybody who joined us in the chat room. We have Wheaton Diver and St. Louis Sam have chosen to be in there. If you want to get into the chat room yourself, you can do that. Thursday nights record live at 9 p.m. or thereabouts. We're, we're running about 15, 20 minutes after and we are show 73759 on TalkShoe. So the first one that we have up, and I didn't preload any of these. Oh, uh, uh, before I get into that, let's also talk. Uh, I had somebody send me an email, and I apologize I don't have the email right up, but he was asking you know, if we had thought about using ad blockers to, because he had noticed that we had had videos play automatically. And for me right now, the reason I don't is because this, this computer serves multiple purposes. It's my development machine, and I need to be able to test on a fairly unmodified system how applications and websites and stuff work that we're building. So I can't necessarily load an ad blocker on. Um, yeah, maybe I should. Really what I should be doing is having multiple systems. Since I've got a stack of systems here in my podcasting bunker. So I should do that. I should, and I, I have from time to time. Nice thing about using one system is that when I travel, I don't have to get used to something else. I've got the one computer, but that's the reason I haven't been using ad blockers. Uh, and it gets to be an arms race. You know, you've, you use the ad blocker, then the, the spammers and ads get better and it, it tends to be a hassle, but uh, it's, it's, it's a good idea. So the first one we have up some follow-up articles to lead. We have uh, sentencing has been delayed. And if you remember, there was that uh, treasure hunter who had found the wreck in Florida and recovered some gold and then decided he wasn't, he was going to skip. After being in hiding for three years, they, they found him. And if I can get this damn article, see, this is the other part. Ad blockers is, yeah, I guess that that might help. Sometimes ad blockers will make your websites quicker. The thing I remember about 
Tommy Thompson is he was the bottom line was I had 161 investors who paid Thompson 12.7 million dollars to find a ship never saw the proceeds two of them sued and it said now one of the deceased investment firm presidents and company that publishes the Columbus Dispatch newspaper so he had a bunch of money invested 12. Point something million so I keep wondering how much of that he took as opposed to a couple of missing gold coins well, is it kind of like a Ponzi scheme where he realized he was never going to be able to pay them all back? So at some point you think of why even try? Well, I'm, I'm not sure how the investment was because, remember, uh, you could do it for the atrocious treasure, and it was by year. It's like January to December. You paid so much. If they found anything during that period, you got a percentage based on contributions of everybody. Right. Which you may get your money back, but at least you can say, hey, you had a part in the in the wreck diving stuff. Yeah. Say, I had some of the atrocious. So that would be the smart way to have that. But for $12.7 million and 161 investors, it sounded like they expected a little more return on their investment. Well, yeah, I think they wanted an actual return. So what now, uh, as the story goes, he was scheduled to be sentenced. He's got a new attorney. The attorney asked the judge to extend it till he got up to speed on the case, and the judge granted it. So he's still going to get his sentencing. It just might be a little bit yet. He faces up to two years in prison and maximum fines of $250,000. Okay, so if I've got 12 mil put someplace else, I'll pay you the 250000 work in a low, non-high security prison for two years. That's pretty good investment on your time and money, you think? Yeah, well, maybe uh, he turned himself in because he thought it was uh, – Less threatening than being out in the wild. <laughs> well, I do remember when he was uh, arrested, he had eight fake identification cards when he was arrested in 2008 at that Florida gas station. And after his disappearance four years after that, uh, everything he did, he paid in cash and put the utilities in the landlord's name. That's why it took him so long to find him. So he, he wasn't exactly dumb, but again. I haven't heard anywhere where they're trying to account or give a tabulation for what he spent and what he has. Yeah, you don't see that. That'd be nice to know. You know, do they seize well, yeah, your bank account? If you're a crook, you want to know how to avoid the same error and keep the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, do you take a look at all the detective books and the murder books and all of that? And if you don't think people read those for the little itty bitty details, you're crazy. Or the guy's writing it under a pseudonym, did it, and is now telling me how he did it. <laughs> how he did it. Well, two more people who didn't get away with doing it. Two men have been arrested for the HMS Hermes shipwreck theft. Officers investigating the reported theft of items uh, from a sunken Royal Navy warship in the English Channel have arrested two men. HMS Hermes was a protected cruiser built in 1890s and converted to an aircraft ferry and depot ship ready to start the First World War in 1914. It was sunk by a German submarine in the Dover Strait in October of that year with a loss of 44 lives. Earlier this year, Kent Police Rural Task Force was informed that a number of historical artifacts had been reported stolen from the wreck. Following an investigation in partnership with the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, the Marine Management Organization, the Receiver of Wreck, Sussex Police, Historic England and French authorities, officers executed warrants at two separate addresses in Tyham near Faversham and Rye in East Essex on Monday. The 56-year-old man from Winchelsea in East Sussex was arrested on suspicion of theft and fraud and released on bail pending further inquiries until February 22nd. And a 55-year-old man from Tenham 
was arrested suspicion of theft and released on bail pending further inquiries until the same date. Officers also seized a number of historical artifacts they believed to have been stolen from the HMS Hermes and other underwater locations. PC Forest Frost and the Rural Task Force said, We are proud that closing our working relationship with the partner agencies and take a robust approach ensuring important historical artifacts do not end up in the hands of people who are not entitled to them. We'll continue to investigate anyone suspected of stealing items from sunken wrecks and we'll bring prosecution against them when appropriate. Keywords. From second wrecks, that's a very open statement, which is incorrect to use there. When appropriate is the correct phraseology they should have used. Mm -hmm. The difference is the Herms is a protected wreck, meaning identified, specified as a protected wreck as such. Right. The down here about stealing knives from second wrecks, that's not, I mean, what's a solver doing? Is he stealing every time he salvages something? No. No. So I, I take opposition to the way they phrase some of the words sometimes. Yeah. Again, I think sometimes part of this, this reads very much like a press release. When I'm I'm sure that was a press release put out and then the, the newspaper just changed a couple lines at most. Because why would you give credit to so many organizations? So they got Maritime and Coast Guard Agency, you got the Marine Management Organization, the Receiver of Wrecks, the Sussex Police, Historic England, French authorities. So somebody was very concerned that everybody involved got credit. And part of that's probably for funding. If people don't know you're doing anything, that makes it awful hard when you need money or resources to get something done. Yeah. So knowing that these type of cases get a lot of PR, you know, people are more people are more concerned about a wreck than uh, maybe some other things they should be concerned about. If you if you look that up though, that that was a very large boat or a ship. Um, excuse me. Three. It had uh, three stacks on it. And she sank only in about 100 foot of water, as I recollect. Yeah, it was built in the 1890s, aircraft ferry and depot ship. So you knew it had to be fairly big. Oh, it's very, very large. I'm just looking at a picture of the two six-inch guns on the quarter deck. Oh, do they have a, they have photos of it? Oh, would you like a picture? Um, here, let me... uh, if, if you just looked on the Quidipiki or whatever you call it, Wiki. Wiki? It's there. Yeah. Oh, that is a... That'll give you the quickest one. Yeah. There's some other ones I had just looked at. Yeah, it's uh, 300 wow. pixels by 188 pixels. Nice shot, though, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you got the same one steaming out of the aft stack? No, I got one after. It must be after it was converted. Oh, Looks okay. almost I like an one. aircraft carrier. Oh, wait, this is a different one. They reused the name. This is HMS Hermes R12. Yeah. Look up the HMS Hermes 1898. Yeah. This one was from 1859 to 1984. No, that's not. Well, let me see. Uh, she was heavily armored, let me tell you. And being that big and only 100 foot of water, I cannot believe that she was not dove a lot. You would think so. Would there be a reason why not? Well, the, the other item, she's upside down. So that's going to inhibit a lot of you know work that you're going to be doing on it. And if it's oh. upside down, you're doing penetration. So you're really, okay. if you're inside looking for stuff, you're, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. Yeah, the Hermes, and I'm sure everybody in the UK is going to cringe when I say that, this looks like a... Uh, a U.S. Liberty ship? Uh, no. No? No, no. Liberty ships don't have guns on them. I know we got sidetracked again there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're looking at, look at photos. This makes awesome radio. Okay. Well, here, here's the next one. We, we covered this one. We're, out, we're on a theme of follow-through or rehashing old stories. But this one was, if you remember, there was a, the skeleton that was found in the river. Yeah. And it ended up being fake skeleton. And they said everybody was kind of embarrassed about it so it appears that the earlier this week people were upset that the fake skeletons had been 
nabbed or stolen. And now after a little bit of research, they figured out who took it. And it was the guy who originally found him. <laughs> Parker resident Martin Stoll said he took Bernie and Bernadette, a pair of Halloween skeletons that occupied a lo local diving area on Friday. The skeletons purchased in Phoenix by an unidentified couple last year were a source of national attention this May when they discovered the bottom of the river. The skeletons were placed there for the amusement of divers, tethered to a pair of lawn chairs and dressed in silly clothing. Bernie was found with a beer can wired to his bony hand. He had a sign that said, Bernie's been living the dream in the river. Scholl says uh, it was he who discovered the skeletons while scuba diving in May. He contacted La Paz County Sheriff's deputies in reference to human remains. Deputies came with divers and Buckskin Fire Department to investigate and soon discovered the joke. I got to stop you for a second. Yeah. If it had a freaking sign there and a beer can wired to his hand, <laughs> do you seriously believe that was a real skeleton? I don't. It's... I'm sorry, I had to interject. Go ahead. No, I, I agree with you. I've I've even when you know they're down there or you go to a new site and people talk about it, and if you're in a quarry or any of that, we've discussed it before. There's almost everyone, it's it's a requirement. If you're gonna have a, a dive spot, you somewhere have a skeleton. How many do we have at Lake Sixteen? There's uh, three of them, right? That that we've can verify there could right. be more. The only one that's scary is the one that's dressed up in a freaking wetsuit. Oh. But if you're there on a day when it's really bad viz and you bump into that, turn it around to see who it is, that makes you second your regulator a little bit. A little bit. First time. Yeah, I might be folded more than once. He says it was deep. He could make out one of the skeletons, which appeared to be the right size and shape for an adult. After finding the body of a friend in the river last year, he said the discovery mortified him. Fire trucks, ambulances, and buckskin rescue boats arrived, and emergency crews eventually discovered the truth of Bernie and Bernadette. Rescue workers and La Paz County deputies laughed, stole, departed in his paddle boat. Skeleton tea parties, Scholl said. It was funny. The next day when a friend called me and told me the chaos I created with every morning show in the country, I was shocked. It sucked when I found out they didn't even mention me at all. According to Stahl, the media focus was on La Paz County Police Deputy uh, Kurt Bagby, who led the recovery in two plastic skeletons and investigations of the origin. The story and video went viral, and I was still the snorkeler, he said. <laughs> I called the local news agency and asked why I wasn't mentioned, and they said Bagby thought I didn't want to because I was too embarrassed. <laughs> they had my info. He could have asked me. So this is what Stoll's saying, or Scholl. After the skeletons were found in May, Begby spoke to the Bureau of Reclamation for reassurance that it was safe to return Bernie and Bernadette to the depths. The resting place is about 45 feet below the surface in a popular dive area, he said in a Sunday interview. It was kind of a difficult situation, Bagby said. We're not supposed to have them in the waterway in the first place, but the pub public wanted them there. The Bureau of Reclamation didn't have a problem with it, and people still talked about the fact they were there. Over the past five months, skeletons have become a, a uh, amusing attraction for recreational divers and to the members of the buckskin scuba teams during their training in the Colorado River. While the abduction of two skeletons isn't technically illegal, it left Parker without a recent claim to fame. Ultimately, according to Scholl's statement, he took the skeletons as a personal slight toward Bagby for withholding his name from the media. When you're dealing with the media as a law enforcement officer, you can't assume people want to be named, Bagby said. Two skeletons now reside in Scholl's balcony in Parker, and Scholl said he will return them to the river after Halloween. Uh, 
Chris Chambers of Buckskin Fire Department believes that Bernie and Bernadette occupied the bottom of the river. The present turned area in a fun feature and department's training made the river into a neat dive spot. Hopefully he'll give the skeletons to the Buckskin Fire Department and let us take them back down. They're really neat attraction. Scholl didn't break any laws by removing the skeletons from the riverbed, and La Paz County Sheriff's Department does not intend to pursue the matter further. I'm sorry, Mac? Well, the first people could get charged for littering. <laughs> the very first people yeah. to put them in, yeah. All right, so you're not going to say that. And if you deliberately put it back, you're littering again. But if I was, if I really thought it was a skeleton, you know, and sell them in a chair, wired beer can to the hand, I, I don't really think I'd have told anybody about that. <laughs> And, and created a hell of a book. And if I did, I certainly would not have wanted my name in there. They'd say, what is your name? Oh, Darren Jolton. Right. But, well, <laughs> but it's, but I'll let you have the credit. Well, this gets weirder. So he then is a little ticked because he didn't get his 15 minutes of fame, which the, the, as a police officer in the past, you can't just name people. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. He, I mean, it's going to be a matter of public record, but you just don't go out and exasperate the exasperate exasperate the this, this situation yeah i was more we, we were more than happy to let bob have all the fame he wanted <laughs> yeah bob get in front of the camera yeah they no, they, 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 they they when you do find stuff like that they like to interview as many people because they're hoping that somebody says something it's like when you when there's a tornado and they find the guy in the wife beater t-shirt <laughs> missing all his teeth to say something i yeah. think that's what they're looking for when we when we found stuff in the river so then he takes the why? So he had to go down, take him, and then stick him in his balcony. I'll show you. I, I, I don't understand it. I do know that I did go down to Myers this week. They have skeletons on sale. <laughs> and uh, seriously, we were looking about maybe getting one for one of our other little playtime places. <laughs> or we'd have it. But they've got some really neat ones of cats and dogs. Fully, <laughs> like, you know, A cat skeleton? Oh, yeah, and dogs. So we figured, you know, the, the little ice shanty down there at uh, Gull Lake, uh-huh. where we got the diver at. You know, yeah. You know the midget diver. He's been there forever. Yeah. And nobody stole his gear yet or anything, which is great. But we could put the cat or dog by him. Huh. Yeah, you could. So I was going to wait till the prices went down and maybe pick one of those up. Yeah, you go to after Christmas. Uh, Christmas After Halloween, they'll be done. Yes. So we're waiting. But those are still good ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we I don't, don't and we don't recommend taking mannequins and doing that because that's really not playing fair. Yeah. Mannequins are a little different than a skeleton. Well, plus mannequins they're usually positively buoyant, aren't they? Not well, depending on how you you weight them down and stuff. Oh. But. <laughs> well, if, if you if you sink the feet you in concrete, you find the mannequin and he's got a chain around his leg to two cinder blocks. <laughs> a lot of people are not going to stick around to find out is that a real? You know what I mean? You you mean the Chicago sneakers? Yeah. Uh huh. And here we have a recently discovered Lake Erie shipwreck receiving a emergency response from the Coast Guard. This was Monday of this week when the story broke. Coast Guard was sending out a crew from Station Marblehead in Ohio, along with members of the Atlantic Strike Team from New Jersey, New Jersey to the wreck site this morning. They were starting to do air monitoring at the site. Coast Guard spokesman Petty Officer 3rd Class Christopher M. Yaw said the team will work to get a good, clean sample of the unknown substance that appears to be leaking from the barge so they can identify it. The Cleveland Underwater Explorers, CLUE, discovered the wreck in August 28th. It's believed to be a vessel called the Argo that sank in 1937. It's about 44 feet below the surface. The wreck is 12 miles northeast of Sandusky in western Lake Erie. Records show the barge was carrying 100,000 gallons of crude oil when it sank. 
No one knows yet exactly what is still on board, but a dive team of the Cleveland Underwater Explorers reported a leak of an unknown substance from the barge on Friday night. Coast Guard confirmed the leak on Saturday. Commanding officer for the Coast Guard Marine Safety Unit in Toledo, Anthony, oh my goodness, we're required one a week. I just uh, used a first name. I can usually pronounce that. I got Anthony right. And leave it at that. He's got Anthony too many, Mark. he's got, there's like five I's in his name, in his last name. I think it's like every other letter's an I. So Anthony M, we'll call him. He says they didn't know exactly what was leaking or how much was leaking, but a host Coast Guard helicopter Saturday night indicated that the discoloration of water that was 400 yards by 20 yards says it appears to be some kind of solvent to work and identify the product. He says Coast Guard is monitoring the site by air, mobilizing emergency response team now. The primary goal, the goal was to identify the source of the leak and secure it. And then, it I didn't realize it, but it sounds like that shipwreck is not in the U.S. side at all. It must be on the no, Canadian side. The crew that went out to do the initial survey of it, and it didn't Lake Erie, so... Again, I didn't notice if it, what side of the lake it was other than Lake Erie. Yeah. Oh, I know it's on the bottom. Yeah, it's on the bottom. So the, okay. But that second one, when you have is a good follow-up that the crew went back out to, to locate it based on the discolored water. Mm-hmm. And that's where they didn't see the liquid or the discoloration like they had expected. So it appears to be an intermittent leak, yeah. which makes it question like, why is it intermittent? That, I mean, I guess that is a good point. Why, what would make it intermittent uh, unless it just happened to, because you just had divers down there, you know, blame the divers, but they were just there. I wonder if they knocked something or bumped something, you know, how do, are, is there a mooring line on the wreck that a, a boat was tied off to or? The side scan was excellent. Did you oh, see Oh, beautiful. Picture? That was a beautiful side scan. Yeah. If, if you. And three, four feet, man, you could almost free dive. Well, you could. You free could. Free dive a good day. Yeah. Yeah, but the American vessel, when it reached the discolored waters location, they couldn't find anything. National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration Environment Canada, meanwhile, ran hindcast bottles of wind and water conditions that produced results consistent with the Argo being the possible source for the discoloration. Aerial observation and resulting response occurred while Coast Guard contractor TNT Marine salvage of Roseville, Michigan, performed dives Tuesday to the Argo, which sank in Lake Erie Gale in 1937. TNT divers continue a general assessment of the barge, going very slowly over the whole vessel, but as of 5 p.m. Tuesday had not identified a source of any leak from it. It was interesting. They talked about, and I assume they put a buoy there so they wouldn't have to research the area and they'd have a, a plume source right. to look at. They were talking about they put a 1,000-foot zone around it as a no-enter zone because of the any leakage. And they were talking about being light, crude. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it would come up and evaporate, we'd have a vapor that could be toxic. Right. So I thought that was interesting. And it's like, oh, I didn't think of that. Well, why don't you just get a buoy and have a big open flame on it? And then as everything comes up, you'd have like a flare off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah just... you could find it at night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Is that the Aurora Borealis? Uh, you might not want me on your environmental response team. <laughs> oh. Then we have a diver who is waiting for the web to load. So we had uh, a diver who survived stage four breast cancer, goes from limping back to scuba diving. She uh, visited her doctor and found a 10 centimeter lump in her breast. Test confirmed that Madam K was suffering from stage four breast cancer. 
cancer had already spread to her bones and lower part of her spine. Everyone has a different perception of stage 4 breast cancer. Some would associate with imminent death. Some would relate it to months of chemotherapy along with side effects such as hair loss and vomiting. Some people might think of extensive aggressive treatments, including surgery, to remove all the cancer, having a liver transplant to get rid of the cancer cells that have spread to the liver. The hallmark of the cancer is the ability to travel from the original site to other organs in the body, the cause of breast cancer, the original site of the breast, and from here the cancer cells travel to other organs through the lymphatic path and blood systems. So after treatment, the lump in her breast, which was previously 10 centimeters in size, was significantly reduced to 5 centimeters. After eight weeks of treatment, uh, the doctor could no longer feel the lump in her breast. More than a year after starting treatment, she was able to go on a scuba diving trip overseas. She appeared to respond very well to the chemo. Yes. So it's important to get tested early and often if you are in, you know, when you go to your doctor, you, you check and see if you've got any of the conditions, family history and you get the mammograms, and that gives them a nice baseline, because that's half of it. Is there's a lot of colors that can show up uh, on those tests, and if you don't have a baseline that they can compare against, it makes it a little bit more difficult. So they're able to get this early, and she's able to get back and do some scuba diving. Well, it shows the other aspect, too, that even though stage four, and most people think that's a death sentence, like they were saying, could be cut months or 10 years. And in her case, she responded to the treatment. Might not have been the normal, I mean, the exception, but hey, for her, it was great. A year later, she's not letting it keep her down. She's out, you know, still living life. Don't give up. No, you can't. And here's a fundraiser. I like it when the fundraisers can uh, take the form of diving underwater. Paul Nusinov surfaces after a dive across Schwansea Bay. He completed a five-mile underwater odyssey that took three hours and 47 minutes. It was took him a little bit longer than he had planned. I did an estimate of three hours. It was a lot harder than I thought, said the 41-year-old diver. He said visibility is good when he first dropped in the water, but he still had his uh, needed his torch for the first 30 minutes. He navigated with an underwater compass on two occasions, deviating to keep on course. Six diver pals took turns to paddle with him to ensure he was okay and carry out various checks. His equipment included a computer which measured oxygen levels, depth, and time. My only concern was breathing out, said uh, Mr. Nuzinov. Your breath, you breathe out carbon dioxide at a canister which removes the carbon dioxide, but it's only got a recommended three-hour use. If you're not breathing too hard, you can extend that. Fortunately, received no carbon dioxide warnings and continued in an easterly direction above a rather featureless seabed. The first 30 minutes was loaded with dogfish, plant life, but after that it was just sand. The self-employed builder stopped a few meters short of the Swansea West Pier due to obstacles that could have snagged a support buoy. Uh, by then he had surfaced to feel cold. Finally, rising the surface was a relief. I felt quite helpless. Everybody just stripped my kit off me. Normally I do it all by myself. After a hot water and a cup of tea, he was presented with a bottle of bubbly from one of his pals. Money raised from the dive will help South Wales Multiple Sclerosis Therapy Center in a new pro build project in which when Sean C. His That's very nice. It's always interesting that people listen to this sometimes since you're English, don't know what they're talking, but a torch is the uh, same as an underwater light. Yes. And their kit is the same as we would say our diving equipment, our tanks Gear. and whatever. Yeah. And it was obvious he was using a rebreather. Yes, he had a rebreather. And I'd like to to know what type of rebreather he had. Yeah. Uh, because uh, some of the rebreathers will have will use a temperature stick, and they can measure and they can follow and determine how much of their <coughs> excuse me their soda sorb 
is active. So what you do is you have this canister that you pack and your air is being circulated over it and that, that leading surface is where it gets hotter and some uh, rebreathers will measure that temperature so you so you can kind of monitor how much you've got left. So and you, this is one of the first, I mean, the only opportunities when people are diving and they say oxygen tanks, they're actually correct then because that's what you're taking to work with your rebreather. Right. He, he, had a, he would have had an oxygen tank and a dilutant tank. Uh, Looking, uh, he it's an English-made dry suit, I think is what he was wearing because I recognize the brand. Well, good for him. Uh, yeah. If he'd been Bob, he'd have had his electric suit on under, and he'd have been toastier. Yeah, he wouldn't have been cold at all. They asked him I if just he's... think it was funny. They were talking about that that course. Uh, where did it say he only made two deviations? Yeah. I'm on an underwater compass, and you got any kind of current, I'm deviating more than once or twice. <laughs> yeah. <but this> is... <laughs> he did good. Yeah, I, I would have. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all over the place. I look like a drunken sailor on the bottom. Yeah. And then a little bit closer to home, we have the... St. Uh, I say St. Joe, the South Haven Maritime Museum here in Michigan. And they're going to be doing a program on Lake Superior shipwrecks. Woo-hoo. Now, why is that not going through? I can't get the, the article to come up, but I, I'll go from memory. I think they're going to be covering the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes. It's going to be one of their exhibits. So if you happen to be in the southwest part of Michigan, uh, make sure you get up there. Take a look at the exhibits. Yeah, what you want me to read that? Yeah, if you, can, if, you, if you can. Yeah, the record of the Edmund Fitzgerald would be the focus of a program at the Michigan Maritime Museum in South Haven, which is the one closest to us, by the way. Uh, the museum will host a Gales of November event on the 10th, which is the 40th anniversary of the freighter that went down in Lake Superior in 1975. Uh, they'll have a guest speaker, and he'll present his program is called the Ice Water Mansions, a lecture pertaining to the perils of the November passage on Lake Superior. As a side note, they had a storm up there last week at 16 and 17 foot waves, and it's not even November yet. But it'll start with the first European shipwreck on Superior in 1816 that they identify, uh, continue with two sister ships that went down during the same storm a century later, and a discussion on the loss of the Fitzgerald. And one of the, this time there is an admission price. It's eight bucks unless you're a museum member, and then it's free. And better yet, uh, join the museum and then go for free. Yeah. And it, it's funny when you think about it because, you know, we were living here when she sank. And the controversy on what happened, you know, this all over the board. And everybody had theories and everybody had good theories. And uh, it was quite interesting when you look at it 40 years later, look at all the hula that went on with it. Well, you, we like it's, to think that we live in a modern time and that there aren't many secrets and that we can keep track of stuff. So you have a vessel that big disappear that quickly. It's a little bit of denial that we can still make mistakes like that. So you have to assume that there's some other reason why it happened. So what was some of the thoughts of, of it when it went down? Because I, I was fairly young when that happened. Well, so I one, don't... it was being spotted and talking to with another ship. You could see the lights. Mm-hmm. That's where, just like in a song, when the lights went out of sight, uh, he was talking that he was taken on water. Uh the aspect about the hatches leaking, they didn't say that over the conversation that he had with the other captain, but it was quite rough. One theory was they was closer to the shore and actually scraped the bottom, which opened it up. So when he went to the deeper part, it took on water from below. The other one was that uh, you had several waves lifted up in the bow and the stern, and it broke in the middle. And that has happened before uh, on other ships. So then it just sank, and that's why it went down so quick. The other was that it had had a leak, and he said he was taken on water. 
if you've got that much ore on board, you're becoming waterlogged, you're nosing down. The other theory was it nosed down into a wave and had a like a freak wave came up and kept the bow down and it just plowed on down. And then when it hit the bottom, that's when it broke. So those were the theories that were bandied about. But again, no distress, no little beacon, and no bodies. So the wreck was discovered. So Navy, uh, a Navy Lockheed P-3 Orion uh, found the wreck on November 14th, 1975. A further survey, November 14th through 16th, surveyed by the U.S. Coast Guard using side scan revealed two large objects lying close together in the seafloor. So when did it sink? What was the date when it sank? I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I, I can look right now. Was, uh, November 1975. So they found it fairly quickly. Why is that oh, not? Yeah. I mean, you get that many people looking for it, and it's not like in the middle of the ocean. Right. You have a limited space. So then what was the, so they did find it. That It wasn't like this missing for years and years. They're still debating on who you talk to, of which one it really happened. Did it break? Did it, you know, catch up two waves and, and go down or did it nose down? People are still arguing about it and they continue that. Yeah. Because it looked like uh, uh, the Calypso sent down a couple uh, ROVs to take a look at it. Huh. Right. Well, later on down, you know, last couple of years, there had been some ROVs out there, and they actually did find the remains of a crew member off the, wearing a life jacket facing on the bottom mm-hmm. near the bow. Uh, there was one identified by a different submersible inside, but now state law prevents you from deliberately taking pictures of deceased unless you're part of the recovery. Right. And you don't really want to publish one if you did. Yeah, and they said in 2009, uh, there was an amendment to the Ontario Heritage Act imposing licensing requirements on any sort of surveying device. So I don't know if that's just specific to this wreck, if you're going to survey this one, or any wreck at all. Yeah. Well, it, it is interesting that, uh, I believe it was in 95, there was a several people who, in fact, did scuba dive it. And hit that, and that's considered the deepest scuba dive on the Great Lakes and the deepest shipwreck dive. And the others was, of course, the first divers to reach it without the aid of a submersible. Yeah. They must have screamed to get down to the bottom because it took them six minutes to get through the wreck. Six minutes is what they had time to survey and three hours to surface. That's that's pretty respectable. Right. And they were using Trimix. Uh, That one book I brought to the uh, club talking about the old guys, Mm -hmm. the old divers of the lakes. Yeah. um, there's a really good article on the two guys that did this and the support people who provided it. And they didn't do it for publicity. They kept it absolutely quiet until years and years later it came out. Nobody even knew it. So they didn't do it for the fame and whatever. They did it because they wanted to do it. Well, yeah, you can, you know, your, your own personal goal of what you're going to be able to do. Well, it, it, I find it interesting, too, because the extreme divers, uh, just like the extreme jumpers, base jumpers, wingsuit jumpers, uh motorcycle guys who just go nuts, that cross-country Baja stuff. You know, you're living on the edge there, and that's just the way the people are. And you look and you say, I want to do that too. You look at the number of people who are really, really good at it, and you take a look at the number of people who die doing those sports. Oh, yeah. And uh, like I said, you can do anything you want, but you got to remember you're going to pay the price, and you got to be prepared for that. Yeah, and, and there's certain things that even the best trained you cannot avoid. Or, again, I, I use like say skydiving. Experts, expert, expert. They come into high-speed landing, and they get a gust of wind. That's all it takes. And that was uh, a couple of weeks ago. They had a, a 
I can't think of the exhibit, the, the team number. They were dive, they were jumping into an exhibition at the golf course. Uh, this guy came in, and for whatever reason, he caught the edge of a tree, and that's t- you know toasted him. Ouch. And everybody planned it, and it's like on any given day, it takes that one little link to go bad, and, and you're hurting. So I don't recommend going out there and deep diving on the Fitzgerald. It's been no. done. The other guy's got the notoriety. Don't do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to the point where even the – the less so deep stuff, I'm really not that. I won't say I won't do it. I just, I, I won't, I'm not interested in doing it because it's deep. I will bounce stuff. I will not dive. But again, we're getting to the age that we like to take our time coming back up and going yeah. down. And that adds to deco. And therefore, we're looking at it from a different perspective than when we were younger. And I do like geyser gas for the shallower wrecks because it does make me feel better. It gives me a little bit of an edge. So let's go for the geyser gas. And geyser gas is what they used to call voodoo gas for the people who don't know, uh, which is nitrox. And they call it geyser gas because it makes you, when you go down, you're not as uh, tunnel visioned. You have a better retention of what you saw and what you did yeah. at depth. Yeah. And this is, if you take the class, they're going to tell you that it's all subjective. So some people yes, have so. that feeling and some people don't notice anything different. And whether it's a placebo effect or not, it seems to work for me, so I like it. Yeah. And I I don't feel any worse diving it. And you kind of, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to tell. Well, I, I use it really more for the nitrogen part because mm. I, I use the nitrox, but I'll be on the O2 table. Yeah. That gives me an edge for deco. It does. It, 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 you, it gives a little bit of safety margin. Gives me a, 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 a nice amount, right? And you, you still include those into your uh, your 20-foot and your 10-foot stops and uh i'm not going to get bent again now here's a shipwreck where they discovered uh some remains swedish archaeologists say skeleton remains found around the famous Perbra ship that sank almost 100 years ago could be that of the vessel's controversial captain remains have been lying in the bottom of lake vatten in central sweden since 1918 marine archaeologists have made hundreds of dives to analyze the area, but only this summer did it come across the skeletal remains that could have been those of the ship's crew or captain. Lada Majorn, and I'm sure that's not even close, one of the lead archaeologists spoke to the locals about the discovery on Monday. It's a very solemn feeling, especially since we've been talking a lot about the captain and our project, and this might be him. The feeling of being at the scene of an accident where 24 people died is special. You know, uh, you dive with a feeling that you arrive too late, as my colleague Patrick puts it. Uh, she spoke as police divers try uh, tried to try and salvage the bones. Under Swedish law, police are responsible for attempting to identify any human remains discovered in the Nordic nation. However, their effects were delayed due to bad weather around the lake, the second largest in Sweden. Archaeologists are fairly certain that the remains are those of at least one crew member, although she said tests would need to be carried out to confirm whether or not they belonged to the captain. We do not dare to say that before we have made the examination, but position the remains indicate that it's from someone that was working on the ship, she explains. Further details of the uh, Perbrosh sinking remain a mystery. Captain Borge, who was understood to have been at the helm when the vessel ran into trouble, is currently believed to bear full responsibility for the accident which claimed the lives of 24 people. The most well-known person who died in the sinking was acclaimed Swedish painter and illustrator John Bauer, who had traveled to Stockholm on a steamer instead of by train following a highly publicized rail accident. Some Swedes argued at the time that mythical creatures that featured heavily in his work had played a role in this this 
sinks tragic ending. Police are expected to resume excavation of the site later in the week once weather is improved. I think when we're diving a lot of our wrecks that may have had fatalities on it, quite often we know a lot of the fatalities did come ashore. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not afraid that we're going to find something on the Havana. No. That's been years and years. No. If you were, you would be, I'm not sure, would you be more cautious if you really thought there was remains on well, board? Well, we had the, uh, what was the, there, there was a wreck up there by Isle Royal. Where they finally did take the, I think they took the body off recently. Oh, at the Kamloops. That was the engineer in the engine compartment. Yeah. And you could. Started. Yeah. Now you're talking, they were diving that baby at 300 feet on air way in the way back. Yeah. Back in the day, you know how they say that. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing the videos taken by the guys. Uh, As they went through there, you'd see they went with the camera and you saw this something in coveralls by the engine part, by the controls. And you never thought about it. They didn't think about it until they got up, looked at the video, and says, well, damn, there's a body there. And then people who, and, and again, 300 feet on air back then, there wasn't that many people doing this. No. You know, they talk about it, but they, not no. that many people. Well, 300 it. on air, you've got all sorts of things you're seeing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're in, it, yeah, you're, you're definitely narked no matter what you do. You're way past that 1.25, 1.5 on your O2 yeah. at 300 feet on straight air. Yeah. Uh, you're talking toxic. Yeah. When, when I get when I narked, I, I, that's one of my symptoms is that kind of that feeling of, you know, dread, you know, that there's, that there's something. In the dark, you mean? Yeah. Something lurking, you know, something just outside that, your your vision. It, it's crazy. People don't think they're, they're affected by it, but it's interesting when you watch, especially some of the older movies. Uh, when they videoed with eight millimeter and all that kind of stuff before digital, can mm-hmm. you, if, if you can believe they did that before digital, yeah. Uh, on a particular deep wreck, they went down, and everybody thought it was a good dive. They came up and they watched the video, and it's like, oh my god! And what the one guy did, he was down. He was so narked out that he thought he was untying the the rope they had for their up rope. And the guy is videoing him do this, and what he's doing is tying his leg to the deck. And then oh, the guy video net is watching him swim up, but he's not going anywhere because his leg is tied down. It's like, why can't I go up? Mm. So the diver came over, undid him. They both went out. And the funny part is neither of them remembered it, and they still didn't remember it. And they're watching the video, looking at each other like, what? How do you not die? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, that is freaky. Yeah. So so, th- so that's uh, so what we're referring to, if you're not familiar with it, is that when you breathe air and you go down and to some people this can happen as shallow as 50 feet but most frequently it's anything you know 90 in that 100 foot range i think what really starts and that's nitrogen narcosis and it's very similar to being drunk or intoxicated i have a an audio tape of uh we had a squad who were going down on a chamber to 250 back in the day (laughs) and that's in california and you get in the chamber, and if it's your first time there, it's, it's quite interesting. You know, it's, it's a little spooky, but being guys, you're a little macho. Shut the door, and you start pressing down, and you've been in the chamber. Yeah. You know, it gets like, damn, it gets hot in here. <laughs> Who turned the heat you know? on? And you're continuing punching your nose, blowing until your ears don't blow up, you know. And you're pretty quiet till you get down about 60 feet. Then you're, okay, pretty much on equalization. It's not as hard to do. But if you listen to the audio tape I got, it's like it starts getting giggly because the first guy that talks and that sounds like Donald Duck, everybody breaks up. And by the time we're at 250, we're having a freaking party down there. 
I mean, it's a, we had guys in the back wanting to go out for coffee and open the door and go out. And then <laughs> as we press back down, you're freezing your ass off. And you know how that is because you yep. didn't take a shirt because it was going to be hot. And then you wish you had your sweatshirt on coming back up. Yes. And then you get to that 50-foot level and nobody shuts the hell up again. And they wonder, how stupid have I been? You know what? We need to We need to do that. That needs to be a video. Well, you've got that, don't you, still? When we went to the, the one we did a couple of years ago? We've got bits and pieces, but I don't think we've got the full thing. But we need to do it because I think he'll let you take an underwater camera in if you've got it in a housing because when you they what they're concerned with is uh the fire uh so as long as, as it's well, in a underwater pardon me as well they should be yeah well the, the, was it the one guy who was smoking in a chamber and was it china or philippines or something and yeah i sort of blew up mm-hmm. yeah how did he have a cigarette and a lighter in the chamber and how could he be so stupid <laughs> yeah he he didn't last long when that happened but yeah we i think we need to do that again uh, it might be a good one for, you know, in the winter as we start coming up on spring. And again, for anybody out there who does do the dive and want to do it, uh, you can arrange to have a dive. And it's normally down to sport level depth, 130 feet. It's well worth it because it gives you a good inclination. At what point do you become narked or a little off sorts? You do a manual dexterity test and math test before you go in. You do one at depth going down and at, at depth. The funny part is more people focus on your task, and a lot of people are much better at depth doing the particular task of nuts and bolts. And the reason is, is because your tunnel vision straight on it. You're not seeing what's going on beside you, which is the bad part. Yeah, and that was me. I, I did better on my tests under at, at pressure than I did at the surface. But I do get tunnel vision, and, and to me it felt just like tunnel vision. I can remember as I was going down that. My vision was narrowing and focusing. Well, and it's funny. It, uh, I was reading another article on a different subject, but it, it was about what does your mind do under certain circumstances. And in the event, and I'll use skydiving as one, um, diving like this we're talking, it's mental overload basically. When you start doing something, you're getting adrenaline, you're getting dopamine. All of these other chemicals are into your brain really quick. And if you're not used to the effects of it, you will normally get tunnel vision and focus to one item. Your hearing sort of goes away that you're only looking at one aspect and you don't hear peripherals to the side. Mm-hmm. And examples in a, in a gunfight, if they're not trained for that, they won't even hear the gun they're shooting. Somebody's yelling at them from the side. They're looking at what they're shooting at, hopefully, and never see the peripheral of what's going on. Uh, it's quite interesting. I say that because when you look back, you can see instances where you've gotten that way so focused on one item. That's tunnel vision. You're not focused. You're tunnel vision. Right. And I'm in jumping, I go back and I look, and it's like, duh. I get out there, and I talk to Dave, my jump partner, and he sees everything. And I didn't, I never saw that. And then in retrospect, I started looking back and saying, um, I was not reacting the same way. I was, I was really hyped up, and I really tunnel visioned on something. The more you do it, then you get used to it, and you can, and, and if you're aware of the syndrome, you can make yourself expand that. You know, that area, you get used to it. You got to do it enough. But and, for divers, same thing. Yeah, And I think it's it's very worthwhile for just that reason, because I was nervous. I had all my life, I knew people who scuba dove, and I had a electronics teacher who described he was doing a Lake Superior shipwreck dive, and they went down the anchor line, 
And before he knows it, his dive buddy is pulling him up. And he said all he was doing is he got to the bottom where the ank- where the, li- the line was in the bottom, and he was just dancing around it in a circle. And once he once they got him up to the surface, he could he felt fine, but he couldn't remember anything. And that's what I was wondering is would I react the same way? Well, that's why that one that one gentleman who was in the chamber and they realized he got narked at sixty feet. If that was my partner, I'd really, really want to know he does that at sixty feet before I get down to one hundred and twenty. Well, I and I would want to know because there's a lot of times where we're diving okay max wreck. Yeah. That's that would be in his narc range. I would not be yeah. looking at anybody in that range of a wreck for that if if you hadn't have told me that story. And, and the secondary part on that one too, it is the, the lower the visibility, the chances, you know, the stress factor goes up. It makes your mind do funny things. So you try to do as much as you can to take away the what happens if you know you have contingencies. Like every, I mean, I do bailout whenever I'm on even my wreck, and that's yeah. only seventy-five feet. Yeah, we always put tanks, what ten feet off the bottom on the anchor line. If you can get back to the anchor line, you got it. You got extra air. That, that, I mean, you got air. You got everything. You got time. Yep. So another squirrel moment. I can't, what were we talking about? It's a squirrel <laughs> moment, but we're you're t- we're talking diving here and yeah. shipwrecks. But there were some good ones. Matter of fact, on uh, the diving uh, stations the other day, on um, videos videoed by the people and the comments like, "How did they survive that dive? It's their first open water dive after having done basic scuba. Hadn't been down below forty feet, and they're doing a hundred twenty foot wreck." Oh man. And you're watching a 12-minute video, and the guy's breathing like a big dog, never looks at his gauge, hardly gets down to 60 feet because he's disoriented, uh, he's too buoyant. And you know the story from that. It's like, what were they doing a 120-foot dive just after getting certified for less than 60, and they didn't think anything of it? The video is scary. I've I've seen some of those videos early on. I haven't watched any recently, but where it just it's it is scary just to see everything and it's it's not one thing going bad but it's item after item after item yeah well let's go ahead and talk about some potentially cool scuba gear one is torvald subsurface dive log software they've just released version 4.5.1 and i didn't realize this but and i don't know mac if you know who linus uh, torvald is I, I know the the name, but that's about it. Yeah, well, for us geeks in the technology world, he's one of the founders or the founder of Linux, which is an open source version of Unix that he wrote. Uh, so fe- very famous, and it's uh, ended up being a good product. If you most of your web servers in the world are now running on Linux, and he was responsible for that. But I didn't realize that he was a scuba diver. And uh, once during an interview, he was he was quoted as saying that his only hobby outside of computing was scuba diving. And the reason he wrote the software is because there was no good dive software for Linux. So he wrote the software called Subsurface. It can track single multi-tank dives using air, nitrox, or trimix. It allows for tracking dive locations, including GPS coordinates, which can be converted using a map, logging equipment, and names of other divers. And I believe... Uh, that you can get the software for free. Let's see if it's still free. A lot of that software is available for nearly nothing. It's almost a reason to, let's see, I'm on the page. You're talking I, about Subsurface 451? Yes. Download, yeah, I'm on, I just, there's a highlighted item on the on the article. If you click on it, it'll take you to announcing Subsurface. Mm-hmm. And down at the bottom, it appears to be a download. Yeah, so I'm, that might be something I'll take a look at. Uh, 
I mean, I like some of the software I've used. Uh, my only thing is I'd have to figure out a way of getting the uh, my dive computer to log to it, but it'd be worth translating maybe. What's yeah, a dive computer? <laughs> yeah, what's a dive computer? Well, considering I haven't had a battery in mind for about six months, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Open ROV Trident Kickstarter is another kind of, we're going to close our news part of the episode with a follow-up. And when it first went live, they sent us an early notice and we had put it out and they reached their goal fairly on. So as of today, with as, as we're recording just a little over 24 hours to go, they have 1,279 backers. They're looking for 50000 They have reached $778,000. Oh. And there's still time. The thing to do, because all the really inexpensive units you know, that they had, was uh, the bonuses are all gone. If you get two people together, is uh, get the two-pack. I still think that's one of the best deals. So they're doing well. Looking forward to, to seeing it. Do, do we know anybody who actually bought one? Uh, I do not know. I know we had a couple who thought that they were going to, but that those initial packs sold out so quick. Are you talking about the ROV ones? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I had the opportunity. By the time I blinked and Jim came on because he was going to do the four pack, they were gone. Yeah. Well, they've added some more in there. So let's see where they what what packs are left. So it's called the Trident. So the yeah the the initial ones are all gone. But those went that that within like the first hour. Mm-hmm. So they had the 599, those those ROVs were gone. The 799, those are gone. So that's 400 ROVs between those two programs. Uh, the 949, you can still get some of those. And that's a, a bargain over the retail. That's about $250 off retail. Let's see. They had the Buddy Pack. So for 1599, two Trident drones, one for you, one for your buddy. So that's still, that's a pretty good deal though. $800 a piece. I was down at Myers yesterday, well, the other day. Myers has drones for sale. Uh, they have a very nice, and I cannot think of the name of it right now. If I said it, you'd recognize it. Five hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. You got something because you got the you know EIJ. They've they're uh, they've come out with a new drone. Plus, I think they've lowered the price in some of their existing drones. And when you look for them, look for them in the electronic section cameras because that's the big draw. Is I get to take video of my house. And my neighbor's pool during the summer. Yeah, with people laying by the pool. I get to fly it by the local nudist colony. Yeah. They aren't too stealthy, one. though. There is one There is one in Indiana. Well, like all good that, states. Well, they don't care if you, you if you jump in or fly in as long as you're nude when you get out of the plane or unhook your parachute. <laughs> That's very nice of them. Yeah. Well, you, so you, have, you don't want all those strap marks, so you have to... <laughs> That's for asking them later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's our other podcast. Uh, oh, yes, that's the other one. That's the one we have a lot of people listen to. Everybody's now is searching to find out where that one is. So yeah. that does it for Scuba in the News this week. And uh, let's see. I did get a dive in. So I went last Sunday. I you know, did the call on the mud club group and said, Hey, I'm going to go down. Who else is going? And the only one to take me up on it was Jake, a snorkeler. He was in the wetsuit. I think he was a little miffed. I had my dry suit. <laughs> so I get a little bit more time in. So what we did is we went there behind the theater and I took some nice photos. In fact, I should, I haven't seen any of those I, to put on the club site. I, I, I said them. 
I need to, I didn't email them to you directly, but I did post them on the Mud Club site. I should just steal them off that. Okay. Yeah, you, you should. And then I'll add in, uh, <laughs> I've got a few of the river. Uh, well, I'll send them all to you and you can take your pick. Uh, but I, I went up and it was starting to get a little busy you know, down there by the theater. Uh, about one o'clock is when it starts to pick up. And, and what this is, is it's a riverfront park and there's a movie theater. And we say movie theater, it used to be an old convenience store that they've converted into a movie theater to discount it's wonderland cinema and you can get some of the best pricing on movies there you can see a a new release movie for five bucks but the parking is a little scarce so i got there early enough to where i was able to back into a spot and i can unload and gear up out of the back of my suv jake brought his jeep and his trailer and he pulled in the spot and he didn't he only took up one spot so we gear up we we entered there there's a water outtake from the storm sewers where you got a concrete culvert that goes into the water and you can kind of walk on it and get set up and people are interested we must have spent 15 20 minutes just talking to kids and families and everybody who's playing down there you know what are you doing what are you looking for and i was huffing and puffing i got to get in some better shape i can't believe how exhausted i was just that short little walk down to the river you know, get your weight belt get your tanks get your gear Get the fins, get the fins on, get in the dry suit, get zipped up. So I, we get in the water, and you know Jake's just going to go and play around a little bit, see what he can find. And then I, uh, I, I wasn't. I, I talked about going across the river, but I decided I didn't want to. the The water was very clear. Probably one of the. I think I've seen visibility better than this once. And when I was taking photos beforehand, you could about as far, maybe twenty, thirty feet out, you could see and still see all the way to the bottom, and it was full sunny day. So I'm going down and I spotted a bunch of stuff I wanted to go back and look at. And I haven't been in the water maybe six, seven minutes and I can hear this noise. And I'm probably in five, six weeks feet of water. So I pop up and there's this guy yelling at me and he's fishing and he's like, he's like pointing at his lines and saying something. And so I get a little bit closer to dock and he's like, watch my lines. And he's just yelling at me. So I th- I'm like, okay, fine. Where are your lines? They're over there. Okay, I'll try and avoid them. So I go out in the river about as far out as I can go without being in the, the current where you can't hold on. And I thought I was clear of his lines. I come down a little bit and then I come over. And I'm, you know, I, I was probably another 30 yards downriver from where he was. And then there, then he is, he's screaming at me again. Supposedly I caught his lines. And he's asking me, what kind of vehicle are you driving? Who do you think you are? You guys are arrogant. You're pricks. You know, just you know, just a guy being a complete jerk. Have Have you run into this problem before? Generally, not. Uh, especially when I do pier dives, I walk up and down the pier, find out who's there, until I'm going to be. Well, there was the nobody pier. there when I went in. Well, if you were in first, then that's not an issue from that yeah. aspect. I do avoid them when I can, but you're not going to see monofilament when you're diving. No. In the, not in the current. Yeah. So, no, I, I wouldn't worry about it. He sounds like he just had an issue. Yeah. Well, you, you don't know what kind of problems he has, but, uh, and I, and I felt bad. I, I don't, you know, I didn't intentionally go through his lines. You know, you listen to him talk. It's like, well, you went right through it after I told you, you went right through my lines. It's like, well, no, I didn't go through your lines. I can't see your lines underwater. And I don't, why would I want to be in your lines? I uh, think, you know, 
if you're near it, most of the fishermen bring it in. Yeah. Well, that's what he should have done. And I think in the future, that's what I would ask. And this is where I was thinking it would be nice to have shore support because your shore support could go over there and go, hey, buddy, just pull it in. He's going to be by that in two minutes. And uh, it wasn't him because he was gone when I finally did get out. Uh, but I was looking and there was another guy fishing and they're throwing their lines all the way across the river. You know, the, the river at this point's what, probably 60 feet across, 70 uh, feet? No, no, it's a lot more than 60 feet across. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I mean, these guys got a, they got a, there's no way without be without being on the other bank that you could avoid these lines. But like I said, I went through and I walked all up and down the pier. I took photos. I got photos of the whole spot, but it just ticked me off. You know, here's supposed to be a relaxing day, and then you got this guy being a jerk. In any way, what could, you know, what what damage, you know, if you go through his lines, what's he out? Uh, a lure, maybe. Yeah. But Jake said when he got out, the guy was like, is that, you know, is that, he, he pointed to Jake's vehicle. Is that his car? Like he was going to do something to the car? And Jake's like, no, that's mine. <laughs> but I did find some good finds. Have you seen my finds? No. Look on, look on, look on Facebook. <laughs> look on Facebook. Yeah. Uh. After on the, the show. club site? Yeah, on the club site. Uh, I, I, now you're shaming me. i got to go look. Yeah. I mean, even as we speak, I'm going to go to the club site and look. Yeah. So October 25th is when I did the dive. And there are two photos. We had what Jake found. And Jake found a lure and a marble. Okay, I remember that. And then mine was the other photo. Okay, the, that the 25th? Yes. Oh, you had the, uh, looked like a record player or a yeah. cassette player? Yeah, I had the, the boom box and... Uh, I oh, did. I didn't know that was yours. That was mine. That. Yeah. There was a, a binder and a cell phone. And, and a, min, a minnow net. A little minnow net. Now, I did get a glob top. You did? Yeah. At least I think that's what it is. If you look a uh, second from the right. Here, let me see. Oh, past the, uh, past the cup. Yeah. Yeah, that's a semi-glob top from what I can see from here. Looks like you got a high mark emboss on it, too. Yeah, it's got an emboss. Ooh, a circle? Yes. It's up there on the shoulder. That's a nice. That's unusual up there on the shoulder. Yeah. Here, let me, uh, I'll send you an actual photo if I can figure out how to do it here in Skype. Okay. So that's your find. Very good. Yeah. So I I, I had uh, a few good finds and I left a few. I did some stacking because I was trying to be a little bit selective. Yeah. Now, did you, uh, you're on Facebook now? Yeah. Okay. Did you go all the way? You can see the night's finds already. Did you see that? I, I was ignoring because it would be completely distracting, but. Let oh, take okay. A look it's anyway. got a nice picture of uh, of uh, John and uh, Sarah and the airplane she found. Oh yeah, and it looked like she got two blues or cobalts. Um, looking at that, got a nice milk Coke. Don't know if it's a Christmas Coke or not. A couple of milks, a couple of nice milks. Yeah, I got a Coke bottle, but I was going to say it's about 1970s. It was a really big glass Coke bottle and a Coke whiskey. How big a glass Coke bottle? Not a liter, but you know the larger. Ounces. Well, you saw them last month at the dive club meeting where a couple of people brought them in. That really old Coke bottle was very nice. Script writing on it, had teardrops in it. Did you see it? Uh, I think they had already passed it around by the time I got in. Okay, and then, uh, then they had a white one. Uh, it was a thin glass, so I'm quite sure it was a reproduction. Mm-hmm. Still nice, the, the high, the, especially if you had them both. Yeah, my, mine had the, uh, it was a Coke bottle and the silk screen. You can see it in my photo. It's the... One, two, three, four, like fifth from the right. It's almost in the middle of the bottles. That was a Coke bottle. It was a heavy glass one. Silk screen was almost completely off. There's a few spots of white still on it. Uh-huh. Well, I know the pictures they posted here. I hadn't seen any from John, Adam, and Richard yet. But it'll be interesting to see what they found. Because they came um, 
Jake and Sarah went out early because it gets dark pretty early. Oh, yeah, we're good. And then, we're... Uh, Richard came out, Richard Curtis, because he normally does the Wednesday night dives at SAS, and he's been coming to the Thursdays, which is great. Yes. Uh, and he was in next. And then John and Adam came later, and I'm not sure if any, who else showed up after that. Mary Beth was there on shore, shore support because she's got a, a bad sinus infection, so she's not diving again for another week. But that river has been wonderful, and other than the rain we had today, the visibility has been good. Oh, yeah, it was tons of visibility. Okay, here it and is. the visibility at Diamond uh, yesterday was from the dock where you left to you got to the island, you could see the bottom the whole way over. And it looked like a sandy bottom, not silt. Yeah. I just sent you that photo if you want to see it in high res. Here, I'll give you one of Jake's as well. Is that going to you? Do you seeing it? I saw something that came up. I'm looking on Skype to see. It's, I'm clicking on it, but it's not coming out for whatever reason. It doesn't like me. No, I'm not being able to produce it up. Okay. Well, after the show, I'll uh, I'll send you the originals. Well, do we have anything we need to plug as we get towards the end of the show here? Oh, let's see here. Well, I have working coming over tomorrow to check out for termites. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that I mean to anybody else, but it's important to me. Uh, you think you got termites? Got Veterans Day coming up. Yeah, Veterans uh, Day. There's some plans out there to do a little exploration. Uh, I'll probably be doing a, hopefully I'm better to dive, but, um, went out at Diamond Lake, respotted where the, uh, wreck of the South Bend is mm -hmm. and made some arrangements to get that. We're going to scan that early in the uh, year in April or May. Before the weeds start. Yeah. I want to get some good shots. I don't think we've ever scanned it. So I think that's no. going to be it. Uh, the gentleman's house I was at, at, he was showing me where part of the boiler for that is at. It's buried in his yard. Oh, how'd it get in his yard? <laughs> I took pictures of it, of what part, and I said, have you ever, he said, nah, it's, it's way to hell down there, but it definitely looks like a boiler and a part of the, the internal, I had a section of that, I took a picture of that, mm -hmm. so that might prove to be interesting if I can scan the wreck and then come back, and if he lets me poke around the yard a little bit, I'd like to see if there's more to that boiler than just what I saw. Heavy, heavy gauge. Yeah, because the, there's the boiler down on the wreck, but there's not much of it. Well, you know that the wreck is where it is now is because it was moved there. You know that. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, there's still rope on where they tied lift bags to it and moved it. Moved it over to the deeper section. Yeah. Did you know they had 22 inches of ice there last year? No, 22 inches. Yeah. yeah. What are we? We. I said we would dive that, but to get to the deeper part because it's, it's pretty shallow except around um, the east end, and there's a section there. You know that's. 30 to 45 feet deep. But to get out there to, to realistically dive it there, we'd need to be having, you know, snowmobiles and some kind of a sled they could draw. Oh, yeah. So that's you, a long walk. Yeah. We, how we, cool to dive, do an ice dive on the wreck. It would be a neat one to do an ice dive on. Plus, it'd be about the only time I'd ever been in that lake where we had really decent vis. And 22 inches of good ice. Yeah. Wow. Huh. We'll have to, we'll have to think about that, see if there's a way we can work that out. Yeah. And I did. So you saw the picture I put of the barge, right? Yeah. Now that barge, I don't know if you've ever gone online and looked, but that barge has been in uh, car car commercials and ads. I did not know that. My yes. understanding, this is one that was used in either England or they said England, but I, I think they meant there was used during the war. Mm -hmm. I believe it's what they call a Bailey barge. And it's actually two sections of barge put together and welded. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and they had a leak, and they were saying, hey, Mac, come over and take a look and see what we can do. So uh, 
even though I couldn't dive, I did not dive. The the we've got it scoped out if we need to go put some plates on it or something. But they were able to stop the leak and uh, looks like it's enjoying itself right now. I didn't realize that was paddle wheel and it's electric. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find the photo of it, but because uh, I think it was GM used it in a car ad. So they've got the car sitting on the barge as it's going across the uh, the lake, and that was that was that um, Diamond yeah. Lake barge. So I have to uh, look for uh, that. Uh, and uh, that was a very famous lake or popular lake in Chicago. A lot of people from Chicago used to have homes on Diamond Lake. Yeah. So anyway, so we I did get some out time, but not under time per se. Yeah. So you get a little bit of surface work. Yeah, I'm just trying not to make myself any worse off. But it was fun, and I always love the technical stuff like that. How can I help type? Well, we'd like to thank uh, WRVO Radio for putting us on the air this season. So if you like this program and other outdoor types of fare, you can listen to us on WRVO Network, uh, renovioloutdoors.com. And we are broadcast live, well, not live, I say live, from tape twice on Friday. Uh, can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scoob Obsessed, on Twitter at Scoob Obsessed, and also our website, www.scoobobsessed.com. If you want to leave comments for the show, the show at Scoob Obsessed will send you an email, send your email right to us. And the Mud Club website that we talk about is mudclub.scoobobsessed.com. And I think that's all I've got. Now I just got to find my show notes. Because I think <laughs> I think we are at that time of the show. Oh my god! Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna have to say that. Are we improving? I mean, have you gotten any hate mail or anything on some of those? I I haven't, but you know, maybe my spam blocking is that good. You know, it looks for, it looks for things them. like you're gonna die. You know, and and it probably uh-huh. blocks those. Uh, now this one could really be good or bad because I don't completely understand it. So that makes me a little nervous that maybe it's so bad or insulting that I just didn't get the joke. We need to get some from the from the feminine persuasion, you know. Yeah, I think maybe we've alienated many of those enough to where they're not even listening. But no, we 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 do have some listeners. Oh no, the mermaid's been yeah, there. Yeah, we've got we've got a few. She's not here because she's freaking out there diving in the ocean. Oh, you know it. Yeah, Vanessa, she shouldn't invite us. Okay. So, I think um, here you ready. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. The day finally arrived. Forrest Gump dies and goes to heaven. He's at the pearly gates, met by Saint Peter himself. However, the gates are closed, and Forrest approaches the gatekeeper. Saint Peter says, "Well, Forrest, it's certainly good to see you. We have heard a lot about you. I must tell you, though, that this place is filling up fast, and we've been administering an entrance examination to, for everyone. The test is short, but you have to pass it before you can get into heaven." Forrest responds, It sure is good to be here, St. Peter, sir, but nobody ever told me anything about an entrance exam. Sure hope it ain't too hard. Life was big enough test as it was. St. Peter goes on, Yes, I know, Forrest, but this test only has three questions. First, what two days of the week begin with the letter T? Second, how many seconds are there in a year? Third, what is God's first name? Forrest leaves to think the question's over. He returns the next day and sees St. Peter, who weighs him up and says, now that you've had a chance to think the question's over, tell me your answers. Forrest says, well, the first one, which two days in a week begins with the letter T, shucks, that one's easy. That'd be today and tomorrow. 
St. Peter's eyes open wide and he exclaims, Forrest, that's not what I was thinking. But you do have a point. I guess I really didn't specify, so I'll give you credit for that answer. How about the next one, asks St. Peter. How many seconds in a year? Now that one's harder, says Forrest. But I thunk and thunk about that, and I guess the only answer can be 12. Confounded St. Peter says, 12? 12? Forrest, how how in heaven's name could you have come up with 12 seconds in a year? Forrest says, shucks. There's got to be 12, January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd. Hold on, interrupts St. Peter. I see where you're going with this, and I see your point. Though that wasn't quite what I had in mind, I'll have to give you credit for that one, too. Let's go on with the third and final question. Can you tell me God's first name? Sure, says Forrest replied. It's Andy. Andy explains in exasperation. Okay, I understand how you came up with your answer to the first two questions, but just how in the world did you come up with the name Andy is the first name of God. Shucks, it's easiest one of all, Forrest replies. I learned it from the song. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. St. Peter opens the pearly gates and says, Run, Forrest, run! <laughs> okay, I like that one. <laughs> Nobody can take offense at that one, I don't think. <laughs> I won't say nobody, but... <laughs> There'll be someone. So, on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. how many full moons we've had this month call recording has been completed yes it seems like we've had a ton of them yeah i was really glad that i was i was able to get a couple of good shots which i was pleased with one of these days i'm gonna hook up a telescope to it and get some good shots of the craters